It's a five-star podcast. Because we do it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the What's Real podcast, episode 158. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my co-host, cohort, co-conspirator, co-contributor, and my co-tag team championship partner in podcasting, the J himself, Jared Bajoris. What's going on? The motherfucking J. Oh, yeah, baby. The J is pumped up. And I got to correct you off the bat. Hey, you're starting off in the witching hour. It's episode 159 of the What's Real podcast. Next week, we hit the 160s, which is sheer insanity. Did I not say... I really said 158. Yes, sir, but it's okay. Hey, yeah. Yeah, All the peeps will forgive you. The J forgives you. The wizard uh, will forgive you. He's full of forgiveness. It's really not the witching hour. I'm just a few beers deep starting the show this week. That's true. So we're going to have some fun. But your boy has to go through his promo. I'm as pumped up this week. I'm going to call the left gun Kaitel. And the right gun walking. Hey, uh, you can further explain that, but you could tell with the countdown of the 160s, our journey on the What's Real podcast, the Jay is pumped up as he needs to be this week. Let the pulsation nation reign. Let's do the damn thing. Hey, uh. and see the Jay. I'm going to bring it back too because I'm fucking pumped up this week. I got the Persian clubs out working them back and forth here, and I'll explain oh, nice. that in a minute as well. Yeah, see, so you know how we do, but uh. But yeah, we're we got a great show for you guys this week. We're gonna get into the world of professional wrestling once again with the WWE on A and E biography on the Iron Sheik and WWE rivals on Hulk Hogan versus Rowdy Roddy Piper. And again, we have a double dose of Fridays at Midnight, as the J already mentioned. It's an Abel Ferrara double feature, so this is gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, we're talking King of New York from 1990. And you can't talk Abel Farrar without this one. 1992's Harvey Keitel epic, Bad Lieutenant. So that's going to be a lot of fun to talk about as well. And of course, we're going to be talking about some goofs and much more. So uh, let's bring it back again to Jay. I said I'm a couple beers deep here today. Uh, Both of us did some uh, brewery perusing this past weekend. Uh, something that we don't like, we both do it, but we never seem to do it simultaneously at different breweries. So uh, I figured we could get into that a little bit, but, uh, I went to abjuration and, uh, McKee's rocks, uh, which was really cool. And you went to voodoo, which is, I know it's downtown, but like, where is it downtown? I'm not exactly hundred percent sure. I've never been there. It's, it's right on North shore drive. It's our buddy Roth. Shout out to our friend Roth, uh, used to manage, Rivertown, and it's the old mm-hmm. Rivertown, actually, where Vinny mm. is now. So okay, yeah, it's a pretty good size. Yeah, kind of a, a our old stomping grounds in a way because I used to go down and see Roth before Steeler games uh, back when I would get my uncle's season tickets at least a few times a year and all that. So that brought back some memories, and, and they got some really good beers. Uh, we were talking to the bartender, and they actually have a, a lot of uh, locations now, even out of state. I think she said there's one yeah. in, like South or North Carolina or something like that. So. Uh, pretty popular brewery, you know, all their own stuff. Uh, we, we even asked for, you know, me, I'm a tequila drinker too. And I was asking about the liquor and they have like their own liquors that aren't official liquors. Like they do that kind of loophole thing. Cause I don't think they have like the full liquor license, you know, it's just okay. brews. So th- that was interesting. And and you had mentioned the, the one Lecto cooler uh, that was it's really unreal. interesting. Yeah. Beer. Cause uh, being from our childhood with the high C ecto cooler with Slimer from Ghostbusters on it, uh, that kind of homage. But uh, yeah, that that kind of stood out. Uh, but yeah, my buddy Greg was DJing down there, really good DJ, plays like old school hip hop. 
Uh, so we had a really good time. Unfortunately, our son was a little sick, so we had to get home, but uh, we were still down there for a couple hours and, and had fun on Friday. And, and we kind of talked about it before. There was like one other podcast I know that we kind of were throwing around um, our love for, for craft beers and, and some of the breweries. And we mentioned, man, we're very fortunate here in the Pittsburgh area. Big time. That we're known nationally to have some of the best breweries in abundance. And myself specifically, I, I live in an area known as the South Hills of Pittsburgh. And just my area alone has has a handful, a solid six uh, really good breweries. One, one just uh, opened East End. Brewery yeah, which we've been ago. talking about. So we, to yeah, get we, were, we were talking about you know getting Ubers and doing a uh, a tour one of these weekends, especially with the weather starting to break. Because mm-hmm. here in the pit, I don't care what you think about global warming and climate change, but goddamn, if 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 you're it's not behind that, here. because you know <laughs> it's like we said, it's like a James Bond supervillain has a weather machine or something. Because I think the weekend or Friday or something hit eighty six. And now, as we talk recording the podcast on Tuesday, it was like 41 earlier today, and they were talking about possible snow flurries, which didn't happen. And, and now here, closing out the afternoon, it's like sunny and beautiful. So I don't know what the fuck's going on ahead, but yeah, well, once this weather officially breaks, we got to do a, a brewery tour. It'll be 80 degrees again in two days, for real. Uh, by the way, so but yeah, man, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to doing some of that stuff. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I uh, I went to Abjuration in McKee's Rocks. A uh, really small place, but they did have a lot of stuff. And boy, did I try every fucking thing. Like, there was, like, okay, people who don't know, like, Abjuration Brewing is, like, the they make the best sours out of anybody, in my opinion. Uh, like, nobody fucking touches them. They do some of the most unique shit. But uh, I had a couple really good things. Like, there was, like, this, they had, like, a blueberry sour that basically tasted like blueberry sour patch kids. Oh, nice. Uh there was uh, just a couple other, like there was a fruit parfait one that was really good that had like granola and strawberries and shit that was really good. Uh, and then I, of course, bought two four packs to go <laughs> because yeah. I don't know. I don't know when to quit. But nonetheless, like, dude, I would go there again because I I, lo- I legitimately love their beer. So it's it's always worth a trip over there. But it's almost exhausting. Like you were talking about the city, man. We have so many here. That it's like even like you said, there's like five or six just where you live. There's uh, if you remember the Rivertown in Monroeville, that's a Luciano's brewery now. Uh, I've been to Necromancer somewhat recently for Drink the Cookie Table, the beer event we were talking about not too long ago here on the show. I, I Have you ever been to Necromancer, by the way? I think I was there one time we did. A, it's my brother in law lives out that way. and we, we did a kind of brew tour. It's always horror themed. Yeah. Like everything's horror themed in there. That place is really fucking cool. Uh, obviously, Voodoo. When we went to Abjuration, uh, we saw, um, oh, what the fuck is the name of it? Um, it's Stra- Strange Roots, I think it is. Yeah. So, which that sounds familiar. Which I've, I've had a few of their beers. And they, like recently, they, like, there are two of them, one that I liked and one that I didn't, that were like really weird. But like one was a grape Kool Aid beer, which was pretty decent. Like, not great, but decent. And I had a PB&J. It's supposed to taste, and it was horrible. Like, it t- like the peanuts were overkill. Like, there's some raspberry in there, but it just didn't work for me. Uh, but, like, they do really, 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 like, unique shit as far as, like, sours and just different stuff. And then, obviously, we've talked about Brew Gentleman before in Braddock, which is probably the closest one to me. Uh, they generally deal with IPAs and stuff like that, but they have a lot of different stuff too. But like they're among the best brewers in the city, no doubt about it. But like 
we're very spoiled here with the amount of stuff that we get. Just, you know, like any anytime you want to hit up breweries, Pittsburgh's a good place to go. That's a unique thing to bring up too, hey Ed, with our specific taste, uh, with us talking about craft brews and, and these breweries, is the fact that neither of us are too big on IPAs. And my wife that is into craft beers as well, specifically doesn't like IPAs. And as anybody that's into this knows, the majority of beers for the most part are of are. An IPA yeah, variety, although they are coming out with you know sours and, and there's seasonal brews and, and tons of different stuff. Don't get me wrong. But the predominant, I would say, type of beer is IPAs, and we're not too big on them. So we, we can kind of give people some examples of non-IPAs in, in this world to kind of try or go for. Okay, of course. I'm not disputing anything you just said, but you know what's really weird? is exactly. right now I'm currently drinking an IPA. It's that Whoa. Hitchhiker Orange Dream Sickle, which is like the only one I've ever had that I really, really like. Yeah, I mean, I'll still like, like they have uh, what's called American IPAs. So they're like basically a quote unquote lighter version of an yep. IPA in a lot of ways. So I like those. I mean, speaking of, uh, you know, the, the one in Braddock and the Braddock Brothers, uh, or not the Braddock Brothers, I always get it confused because- Brew gentlemen, brew gentlemen. Uh, they're one of their top beers is the General Braddock, and I love Which that. And that's one of those everybody raves about American that. IPAs. Yeah, so that's an example of that, dude. Speaking of all this, guess what I ended up trying? My brother-in-law Kevin had it at my aunt's uh, surprise seventieth uh, over this past weekend. I can only imagine. It's it's a big thing on Pittsburgh social media and, and all our friends that are local. And for those that don't know that are listening uh, out of state. By the way, yeah. So the Turner T. I I already know it. Yeah, I had one this weekend too. What That's did you hilarious. think? It's terrible. Yeah. So so for those listening, there's uh, Turner's Tea is a, a local, uh, you know, drink maker or whatever. And Turner's Tea was something we grew up with that tons of people in Pittsburgh love. And they did a collaboration with local brewery that goes back for years, of course, the, the famous Iron City. Iron City. Iron and everybody's City. talking about it and couldn't wait for it. And Dude, there was not one person that I saw that commented it on Facebook that liked it. Okay, so I have kind of a funny thing already. So over the weekend, I mentioned going to that brewery, right? So we're driving down the street, and it's like off-street parking. They don't have a parking lot there. So, like, we're looking for a fucking spot, and, like, we stop to let this dude cross the street. No joke. In his arms is four cases of the Yeah, people Iron just jump City on these fads. <laughs> it's like, dude, you're buying well, four cases worth of weird taste and stuff. And then I went to my buddy Dan's that night, like, is like the last thing I did on Saturday. And it's like, and he had some. And I was like, can I have one? And he was like, yeah. He's like, try one. And I'm like, all right. And like, I was like, all right. I've heard enough about this shit up to this point that like now I want to try it. And I turned down trying it the week before because I went to Dad's to grab food, which is like a beer restaurant like in Pittsburgh. And uh, I'm waiting for my food and I was going to get a beer. And I seen that they had one of them left in the cooler. And I'm like, fuck that. I'm, I'm just getting the beer that I want. Right. Like, I'm not even trying. I'm not overpaying for one at a bar. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know, what's really weird. It just tastes like Iron City to me. And then it, it tastes like exactly after, what you would think it is. It tastes like but, an iron, somebody spilled some Turner's tea in an Iron City. Well, there's, okay. So there's a couple things, right? So it's, to me, it doesn't even taste like, do you know whenever you drink Turner's, it has like this distinct aftertaste that kind of sticks around in yes. your mouth? Yep. That's what you get from the beer. But to me, it didn't taste like tea really at all. That's what a lot of people were talking about specifically. It's aftertaste. And they did a thing years ago where they did like these pint glasses, I think they were. 
And it was supposed to be so you could pour in an Iron City and then it tells you like there was a line on it. And then it tells you like where to start pouring the Turner's tea in. I've had that and that's much better than what the the what we're talking about is, which really isn't a beer. It's like a malted beverage, which isn't the same exactly as a beer. So it's just fucking super weird. Yeah. I was like not a big fan at all, like not at all. No, and I, I figured I wasn't going to like it because I stopped even drinking Turner's a while ago because I stay away from sugar when I can't love unsweetened tea. So I, you know, I hate sweet tea these days. So yeah, it just definitely wasn't for me. Uh, but back to the task at hand, running through some of the breweries, uh, I did want to mention just while we we're talking about some of the other ones um, that we didn't get to yet in this conversation that are worth mentioning. Of course, is Dancing Gnome in Millville, the Grist Big House one. in Millville, and there's two in the Strip District. Uh, the Strip District is where my dad grew up. It's right near downtown Pittsburgh, and our family still has properties down there. And it's it, it was kind of kind of going like under a bit as far as you know the prevalency of bringing tourists there and things like that and now it's kind of rebounded over the last few years and they redid this whole area of of what's called smallman street in penn avenue the the two main drags down there called the terminal and it's all these brand oh, new yeah, businesses yeah, yeah. oh you and, went to aslan and down uh, aslan's down there and that was really good and then a little farther up the street actually near my family's property is a place called cinderland's uh, that's pretty oh, good yeah, as well yeah. down there. So, and then then they have uh, Wiggle. That's a local uh, whiskey distillery, which I'm not big on it at all. I mean, I'm not the biggest whiskey guy to begin with. I like whiskey. Yeah, but uh, have you had Wiggle? No, I haven't. Yeah, most whiskey guys that I know uh, really find it distasteful, to be honest with you. Okay, <laughs> but, fair enough. Uh, you know, everybody's tastes are different, so I don't want to shit on them here on the podcast. But but yeah, just just naming some of these things. But again, being you know near. Uh, what we always say is Pittsburgh's description, like the small, big city, and that's kind of why we love it. But, you know, a, a major city nonetheless, you, you have a lot of really cool places and, and tons of options where, where, like you mentioned, hey, Ed, it's kind of a double-edged sword because then it gets kind of daunting. And, and, of course, you're drinking too, so you don't want to overdo yeah, you're it. drinking like a motherfucker. Um, but but I, I like it a lot, a lot more than, like, going to dive bars. Like, I love the dive bar experience personally myself, but just as far as, like, going and spending a night in a dive bar i'd much rather go to a brewery where they like have games and like you can take your kids well, these days and things like that see here here's the thing if it's like me and you and a bunch of our like fucking friends like i'm down to do the dive bar shit like because it's just funny but like if you're going on a date or with kids exactly shit, yeah. it's like go to the fucking brewery it's not as shady like yeah. it's just a better and then plus too like for me anyway like i'm a big fan of the beers so, like, there's always shit that I want to try. Like, even, like, a couple weeks ago when I went to Cleveland and, like, we hit up a couple places up there that were pretty good. And it's just, like, dude, if you like beers, like, that's a C for me anyway. Like, going when it's not summertime is beneficial because I like the Stouts and Imperials. So, like, the dark shit. And they don't do that as much in the summer, obviously, because it's harder to drink then. But, right. like, I mean, I still, even not liking the IPAs a whole lot, I always manage to find other stuff that I like. I'm a big fan of sours, which helps. And then there's still, like, there's really good wheat beers and pilsners and, you know, like, there's other shit that I like. So, it's not, you know, I like everything pretty much but IPAs. And I still, like, I like juicy IPAs a little bit. They're always, like, the fruit fucking hinted ones. Right. But... For me, it's the bitterness. Like, that's what kills a lot of those for me. Like, they're just too fucking bitter. And you were even saying, like, in the American ones, American ones are the same, but they're not as bitter. So it's, like, it's definitely easier to drink than 
you know, the general IP or like even the doubles are fucking brutal. Yeah, I can't exactly. do that at all. That's the thing with the American, they're the light version, like we were kind of saying earlier. And, and you made me think of too another big aspect of what we're talking about that's cool in in this kind of modern fad of, of these breweries and everything that goes hand in hand with it is that a lot of them, most of them have food trucks that come too that have mm-hmm. like unique cuisine and things like that that adds to it. Or or nonetheless, like Cinderlands, for example, has pre- a pretty good menu. So a lot of them have pretty good food as well. So, you know, you could, uh, get, you know, because I, I always do it right. Like we said, we're old pros now. So, you know, I have my water, get some food, yep. and just have a few of the same beer and don't go crazy. And it's it's a good time, you know. Well, dude, uh, that was something that was really cool about Abjuration. Uh, it's part of like this three business thing. So it's like them. It's the Parkway Theater. And it's this pl- this pizza joint that's there. Yeah. that's and, and dude, if you go to a movie there. They have like pickup windows for abjuration and the pizza place. So it's we like you to, go see a movie, drink day, beer. Dude. Yeah, 100%. Be a as soon night. as they have something fucking cool that I want to see, like, because, dude, you figure you go to see the movie or whatever the fuck, and then when you're done, you can literally just hop right over to abjuration and keep drinking if you want yeah, to. Yeah, and again, like, especially in the summer, they have a nice outdoor space I was reading about. Yeah, and, they uh, do. What, what kind of movies do they play at the theater? Is it like random? All Is kind. it modern? But, yeah. Okay. Dude, they show everything. I, I was going to say like a month ago or something, they showed Creep Show. So it's like they oh, do awesome. show that kind of stuff from time to time. And I thought it was cool, too, because uh, I don't know if you ever watched this or saw this before, but there was a thing not too long ago on the NFL Network. It was about George Romero and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And oh, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, and it's like him and Franco were actually in the Parkway Theater, like watching clips and shit like that. Like, it's just another cool fucking well, I was, thing. I, I pulled up a picture of it, and it has one cut of the dead was playing. So there you go. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely play cool shit. It's like, you know, a lot of them theaters around here, we're lucky with that, too. Like, even though it hasn't been as prevalent, like, I'd say since COVID, at least. But, like, there was a lot of theaters around this area that played a lot of second-run stuff, cult stuff, cool shit. Uh, I kind of wish it would get back to that. I mean, I I do see that there's drive-ins and stuff out here, at least kind of attempting to do that kind of shit. So, it's kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, man, I mean, we're kind of lucky with, at least for me anyways, I mean, I know not everybody's going to be into this type of shit, but I am. And I think it's cool to live here and be into this type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's, that's the other thing too, is, uh, w- with all this going on, we also have a few drive-ins like we were talking about with the weather change and yep. we got to hit up. So yeah, a lot of, you know, I, I think we, like we talked about it, you know, just being Northeasterners, specifically Pittsburgh, uh, got to talk about summer, man, where we live. We really look, yeah, look forward to the, the weather turning and, and it's still kind of wacky as we've been discussing, but, but we're almost there. I mean, shit, we're halfway through more than halfway through April at this juncture. So, uh, yeah, hopefully we can start getting out and, and get with our friends because we were talking about that consistently on the podcast as well. We were getting together for a while there, like, you know, the holidays and people having time off. Uh, we were doing yep. some things together for a handful of weekends, and then we kind of hit that skid in in like February, March, and, and we haven't got together in a while. So, you know, it's going to be about time to to take advantage of some of this stuff we're talking about and get out and about and, and all get together. Yeah, that's why I love this time of year, too, because it just opens up so many more opportunities to do stuff. Because obviously, exactly. whenever the weather sucks, who the hell wants to do anything or go anywhere? But, you know, other than that, like, it's definitely worth getting out and doing shit especially you know like we were even talking about this uh, off the air but like this upcoming wednesday which is obviously going to be passed by the time you guys listen to this aew dynamite is going to be in pittsburgh and we're not even going this time because we've been doing so much other shit so it's been difficult to get the time to do stuff like that and you know and frankly the money too because everything's a goddamn fortune anymore but 
but it is what it is. But it's been cool to to get out and about around. I even went to the zoo this past weekend, which, by the way, is something I haven't done, man, in fucking decades. Uh, kind of cool. Uh, you can drink at the zoo, which is something I didn't know. Um, barely did that though, uh, but it was hot as hell. Uh, it wasn't too bad, but like it was kind of cool to see it. But for some reason, I remember the zoo being way bigger than what it was. Yeah, because yeah, you haven't been there since you were young, so that's that kind of happens. And and of course, I've been there a decent amount the past few years with having kids and taking them. And, and I mentioned the best of both worlds flow of the show. Hey, it goes in with the podcast uh, conversation here with, with breweries. They have a, a brew zoo and I'm not sure mm-hmm. if they still do that event, but it's, you know, like the craft breweries Dude, come and food trucks it's, at the zoo. It's unbelievable. It's like adults only. They're, they're doing uh Drinko de Mayo there apparently, there but dude, it's, it's like $70. Yeah, it's expensive. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. come on, bro. Like you guys are bugging out, but yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's Pittsburgh, which is kind of funny in a way, talking about the brewery shit, but it is the city of like, you can pretty much drink doing anything yeah. if you want to. Like there's some angle to let you drink if that's really what you're into. Uh, but nonetheless, still pretty cool. I uh, enjoy it. I look forward to hitting up more of these places. And, you know, as we said about the summertime and everything, like we got to definitely do that brewery tour up where you live because, you know, there's just too much out there not to do it. Yeah, definitely down. We, we've done it before. It'll be a good time. But uh, this is something else that I wanted to talk about before we take our first commercial break. But uh, this is an article up on SliceWrestling.com talking about a recent report of the Triple H era is officially starting with the WWE draft with many storylines, characters to be given a clean slate. Uh, As far as the booking goes, he's going to be given 100% reigns to do whatever he'd like to make major changes across the board, uh, moving superstars to different television shows and kind of figuring out what he's going to do, maybe with his potential long-term plans. It also includes superstars from Raw, SmackDown, and NXT. So I'm sure we're going to be seeing some some call-ups and things like that, uh, which isn't bad, uh, obviously, to kind of shake things up. Uh, But, you know, it's kind of weird because, and again, we were talking about this a little bit off the air, but, like, then what the hell have we been seeing the last few months? You know what I mean? Like, who's been really booking this stuff? But... I mean, I get what they're saying, like Triple H is going to have full reign over creative and everything like that. But I think it's going to be interesting to see what they do, because I, I do like I've been watching more lately than I have been in previous months and stuff. But it feels like they're in a holding pattern kind of time period for the company, even though some of the stuff that I've seen has been pretty good. But you you could just tell they're they're holding back from actually trying to do stuff right now because of whatever reason. And clearly that reason to me is this, what we're talking about in storyline, the WWE draft. That that was my assumption, Hey Ed, that these past few months since Vince McMahon's situation with the allegations and stepping down and all that kind of stuff, I, I think it's just been a, a, a process for Triple H to officially kind of create his own vision. You know, like, and I, I think that's what this is referencing that, that they're going to use the draft to kind of give Triple H is, is uh, you know, the source we have up in SliceWrestling.com, uh, a source told that from WWE told Slice Wrestling that Triple H has a clean slate and a blank canvas. He's going to finally turn the WWE universe into his own style and vision. And it also goes on to mention that the WWE sale that we talked about last week to Endeavor is also creating huge excitement at WWE offices. And they previously reported that everyone has been reassured that Triple H is staying long-term. And that's what this exclusive report goes on to say, that he is staying long-term with WWE after the WWE-UFC Endeavor merger. So um, all that said, I think that 
he's going to use this draft to kind of put different guys in different places, different characters. They said even break up tag teams, start fresh storylines. So it, it is an exciting time to be a, a fan of the WWE. And I, I have lo- liked it a lot more. We, we talked about that placebo effect of, you know, is it really getting better? And I, I think it honestly has. I thought, you know, I, I know you missed WrestleMania. We covered it. Uh, I thought WrestleMania this year was really solid. And, and again, you could tell certain guys are getting pushed that wouldn't have been in the past. I mean, look how over Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens are now. Not, That's not true. That, yeah. yeah, like not that they weren't pushed with with Vince McMahon. They've been around for a while, but they're just on another level. And I, I think Triple H in, in his involvement is is part of that. You know, we talked about certain guys like, you know, like Austin Theory and things like that. So uh, it's going to be a very interesting time to see with the, the, the drafts and, in, in, you know, the few months after that. And, and it's going to be really interesting as well. I, I know I don't think you're too excited about it. And I, I wouldn't use the word excited, but I'm very interested on what goes down at this Backlash Puerto Rico. They're kind of yeah. pumping it up. So I, I'm interested because it's in Puerto Rico. Exactly. And, you know, they have the storyline with Bad Bunny and, and stuff. It looks like they're going to do a tag team with Bad Bunny and, and Rey Mysterio against Dominic and uh, – What's the big Ray, name? Or, uh, the fucking Damian Priest. Damian Priest. So, so yeah, yeah, an interesting time in, in professional wrestling, and and this, you know, this buzz is kind of going around the WWE draft, kind of being a reset button, if you will, for for the whole product. All right, so let, let's just throw it in there just for fun here before we hit the first commercial. Uh, let let's go for four or five things that like you're in Triple H's shoes. Like, what are what are kind of your priorities here with the draft? Like, what would you do? If you, you know, we're, we're giving everything to the J here. What are you thinking? Oh, that's tough on the spot. Hey, Ed, uh, off the bat, I, I've really liked Roman Reigns on Fox and, and SmackDown. And I think that I agree with that. Somebody that's that they good, wanted. I did 100% agree. With so that. I would I would keep him there. I, you know, I would keep the, the Usos there because right now I don't feel like the bloodline storyline is is over yet. No, I don't either. Although maybe that can just be something that puts it on hold for a little bit that you could go back to in the future if the Usos do get drafted to Raw. You know, that's something to think about. I, I don't know. Um, that's an interesting thing. But yeah, off the bat, just talking about like the top tier talent, you know, you start with Roman Reigns. I would definitely keep him on on SmackDown. Uh, try, I'm trying to think of somebody that I would put at the head of Raw. Um, Rollins. You know, yeah, Rollins, keep, keep Rollins on on Raw. Uh, yep. he'd be big there. You know, somebody like Matt Riddle, maybe keep him on on Raw because he's oh, back. Man, yeah, what, get, what are your feelings on him? Because I I wasn't thinking him. he was even coming back. Get him the fuck out of the company. Yeah, that's a dude that I just wouldn't even want to deal with at this point. Like with the other shit outside yeah, what, of the ring. And what was the the latest on that? Do you know? There, there's not. But it's just kind of looking the other way at bad behavior, to say the least, yeah. for me, from everything that I've seen and heard. And he's already done, like, stints for rehab and shit like that. It's just, for me, and I'm not a big, I'm not the biggest fan either. So it's like, and I did like him at one point, but it's like, it's gone complete. Like, I hate the character. I think it's garbage. Uh, that's not completely his fault, but it is what it is. Like, I just don't care. I would let him go. Yeah, and, and I, I wish I knew a bit more. I haven't been, I haven't had my finger on the pulse with the NXT product in, in recent months. I catch it I here and there. Watch it. Yeah, um, I know yes. Carmelo Hayes is really good, and there's some guys, but they yeah. talked about NXT people getting called up. So you would Dude. think with Car- Carmelo Hayes, and and of course, I, I'm brain farting like like crazy, but uh, Braun Steiner was <laughs> yeah, the Braun, uh, Braun Breaker. Yeah, and Breaker. I, and I think he needs and, to come up. 
and that uh, I forget his name. I might be saying it wrong, but like that Garrett Wallen or the, yeah, the fucking yeah, Australian the dude. Yep. Those are the, those are the three dudes to me that should probably come up and be Carmelo Hayes. It's it's a fucking travesty that he's not already up because right. I think he's like the best dude there. Um, One thing I talked about before, and we're, you know, we're talking about fantasy booking. I, I'm not predicting this will happen. And as we joke, once we put it in our ether, it's definitely not going to happen. But I would kind of go towards like WCW's prime with the cruiserweights. Like get Ricochet out of that tag team with Braun Strowman. Start Dude, highlighting. They, they have enough Lucha Libres <laughs> and stuff. I would put all those guys on SmackDown and have them be like the openers. And you know, also kind of go for like the SmackDown 6 era. You know, yeah, like, let's just make this the wrestling show, make Raw kind of the variety show. You know, we have three hours on Raw, so we're going to need to do a lot of different things, like make that variety and then focus SmackDown on being the, re- the WWE's version of true professional wrestling and kind of the athletic sports aspect of professional wrestling. Dude, I'd be using this draft to break up a bunch of motherfuckers like American Alpha is getting broken up with yeah. fucking, you know, Gable and them. That's done. Uh, I th- this is probably and I think that this I bring it up because I think they're going to do this. This is where the street profits get broken up, uh, so they don't have to do a feud or anything like that. One's going to go to Raw, yeah, one's going to go to SmackDown, and, and then obviously you have fucking uh, what's his name, the better one, not Hawk Dawkins, but uh, you you know who I'm talking about. Jesus Christ. Out of the street profits. Yeah. I didn't even have any beer or something. Yeah, oh. but I'm but I'm just saying, like he's gonna be the star of the group. You know, the dude that we can't remember his name. That's the star. Yeah. I keep Christ. I keep thinking of Carmelo Hayes for some reason now. Yeah, me too. It's in my head. <laughs> Jesus I, I, there's Christ. a there's a part of the article here too that says uh Champa is coming back from injury and trips is big on him and he might be yeah. getting some title opportunities. Hey, I mean, they, dude, I wouldn't mind seeing him and Austin Theory have some matches. That'd be fucking really good. Montez so, Ford, by the way, we got to Montez, Montez Ford. Ford. Jesus, yeah, holy <laughs> shit, Jesus. you. But yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, there is opportunities to do a lot of cool shit, like you know, for the draft and everything. So hopefully, that's what we see. But you know how that goes. Like uh, Triple H isn't infallible either. I'm sure. In that brain of his, he has some really, really fucking shitty ideas. Of course, nobody's perfect. Yeah, not- but, but as long as it's better, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and another thing that was interesting noting while we're here, I don't know if you caught this, but Paul Heyman actually, you know, put on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, you know, social media, uh, this this picture of all these upcoming dates and none of them have cops left. So it's showing the WWE is really hot right now and it's selling out. So, I mean, that's a well, good sign I mean, for pro wrestling fans. Are they doing house shows at this point? Because I don't, I mean, I don't think they are. I'm not going to claim a lot. to know. They do. They do live events, they're called. They do them a lot more rarely than the past, but they still like do Like pre-pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is. They're just called is. live events. So. I mean, you know, they're not going to use house shows, but nonetheless, it's still... You know, it's just curious well, to look see at how their business is doing. On the air, another report, WWE discussing more Stone Cold Steve Austin matches at upcoming premium live events. That's, I don't know if I like that or not. But I that's think he just, he's just has that in his blood, man, and he's still in shape. So I think that's on, on him. And I, I think that if he's wanting to come back gonna, and do some stuff. 
I mean, if he's going to wrestle periodically, like once every six months and shit like that, then I obviously understand. I mean, I don't know if you had a chance to watch Raw last night, but they even had Trish Stratus coming back. And I'm like, okay, so Trish is like back back. Yeah, that's at what least we were for saying. now. Yeah, she's going to be on so, the run. And they're, they're saying here, take it for what it is, folks. This is a random clickbait slice wrestling article. So take it for what it's worth. But speaking of this Stone Cold thing, they're saying opponents being discussed are Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. Yeah, that's that's insane. I don't. I don't think we're going to see that at all. But and I was wondering what happened me. to. Uh, there's a couple other things going on while we're at it. Uh, Killer Cross. I didn't know where he was, but they were saying that they he's like working out his contract. So I guess he's still Ugh. in WWE. I guess. And then Drew McIntyre did something where he like blacked out his Twitter and his contracts up, and they're saying he's not too happy in his uh, current role in WWE. So. Hey, I mean, That's I get like, well, dude, here's the thing, too. Like, I'm not going to say this for a lot of those guys, but Drew McIntyre is a dude that I think would just be like extremely better in AEW. They like, just get a much better push. Yeah, he would get, he would be like a key player there. Him and like, Big no Bill, doubt about it. That'd be a good match, actually, just thinking out loud about that. Well, because McIntyre's really fucking good. It's just his character sucks in the WWE. And I think there's, there is a strong chance, too, that if Trips is getting a book, that we see something different happen with him. Because, like, he's a dude that is good. I just don't like anything they've done with him in three years. Like, it's, Yeah, and I heard he's but sick of uh, traveling with the sword. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm who, being an asshole. Who, who, who the fuck wouldn't be, let's be <laughs> yeah. honest. But, uh, but yeah, man, it's going to be interesting to see what Trips does when he gets full reins of everything. I'm kind of looking forward to it. But at the same time, I'm not really expecting the world or anything like that. But it's just going to be interesting to see what the product becomes with him at the helm. So uh, we will obviously take a look at that as the weeks go by here on the show. But we are up against our very first commercial break. And whenever we come back, the wrestling talk does not stop as we are going to talk about the WWE on A&E biography on the Iron Sheik and the latest episode of WWE Rivals on Hulk Hogan versus Rowdy Roddy Piper. So stay tuned. We'll be back with that much more, with much more. And Mucho. Yeah. Yeah, mucho more. Uh, <laughs> yeah. the, fuck you guys. We'll be Mexican back right Italian this on the What's Real Podcast. Join us next week for episode 160 of the What's Real Podcast. The WWE Rivals continues as we take a look at Austin versus Brett and Austin versus Shawn Michaels. And also, we have another mystery double feature with Fridays at Midnight. And speaking of mystery double features, we're heading on back to one of our favorite places on earth with our friends Joe, Bob, and Darcy. It's season four's premiere of The Last Drive-In. Ha! This is Timothy James for Goose or Goose for the show here on Whisper Podcast. We're going to talk about all kinds of crazy stuff like a sloth distracted space shuttle launches to Jupiter, pandas twerking, robot car tour, ham faces, reinventions of the wheel, and TikTok shock proposals. This is all crazy in here. It's Goose and Goose. All that and much more next week on episode 160 of the What's Real Podcast. And we're back, and it's time to get into some wrestling talk with the WWE on A&E biography on The Iron Sheik. Uh, this is one that I really didn't know what to expect, frankly, going into it. And I was kind of surprised when I saw that it had a two-hour running time. Uh, but honestly, um, 
I was pretty impressed with this one. This is literally one of the best ones of the season to me. Uh, they get into pretty much everything that you want to see and hear about the Iron Sheik. Um, you know, they first start off about, and this is what I really liked. They were getting into his actual stuff from Iran, like where he was the bodyguard for the Shah and fucking how he got into wrestling originally. And it was like that stuff to me was super impressive because I really didn't know how much they were going to go into it, but they went way further than what, than what I thought. The, the only thing I would say at the start, hey, Ed, I didn't know. I think we talked about this in the past. Did you ever see Sheik? It's a documentary that I, I, I did seen on a streaming years service. ago. And it yeah, was, it was pretty good and thorough. So that that was my thing going into it. Like, you know, is this going to be better? Is it going to be different? And I have to agree with you. This would be right behind uh, the Dusty episode for for me this year. Yep, they were neck and neck, both really good, really thorough, really honest. We'll, we'll get into it, but they get into some of his darker days, the Sheik, and, and everything that goes into his life. But yeah, at the at the outset here, man, really really interesting that. His, you know, they talk about how his, like he was the protege of, of this dude, uh, Takti, yep. and he died mysteriously after butting heads with the Shaw. Didn't and, know about any of that, by the way. No, and and yeah, it was really fucked up. Like I guess a lot of people were saying that he committed suicide, but a lot of other people were saying that's bullshit. Like he was murdered because he butted heads with the Shaw. So. The Sheik saw the writing on the wall and fled to the U.S. because he's like, you know, if they could kill Takti then that, that same thing can happen to me. And he was able to get out of there and he was uh, connected with Alan Rice, who was an American Olympic wrestler. And he had met him during the games because, uh, you know, Sheik, that's a, another notch on his belt, was an Olympic wrestler in the 60s. And eventually he would get introduced to Vern Gagne. And that would lead him to eventually be into professional wrestling as his original name, uh, which was Vaziri. Uh, and they, they basically fashioned him as an Olympic wrestler. Yeah, he was a baby face. Uh, and it didn't really work out for him. Uh, and then that would you know lead up to the days of him becoming the Iron Sheik. They, of course, had some interesting people, I thought, on this one, too, including uh, Jumping Jim Brunzel, Greg Gagne, and Sergeant Slaughter, uh, kind of talking about him. Uh, and, of course, his wife, uh, Carol, uh, who's that somebody was real only, interesting with him and her and her, his daughters. Uh, like they didn't seem dude, anything like being the family of the sheik. Yeah. So like, I'm not trying to be an asshole when I say this. I'm just saying this legitimately from everything that I heard about the sheik and shit. Like his wife must have been a complete insane person to deal with him. Uh, I don't get it at all. I'm sure there's some dynamic that I'm missing here, but I was glad that they had her on the documentary because obviously I've never heard a fucking word from her ever. Right. And as we always say, people like that, that that live with these guys and deal with it, have such a unique and close perspective. Absolutely. Uh, and then, of course, they talking to him originally getting into the Iron Sheet character, of course, dealing with the 1979 Iranian embassy hostage crisis. It was a major, major deal in America. Um, and then, of course, they get into Vince McMahon uh, getting into the Iron Sheet business, so to speak. Um, and it's really weird because when I was watching this and along with the rivalry that, uh, the rivals that we'll talk about too, um, this coincides completely with the time period that I started watching wrestling as a kid in like 1984, 1985. And I was even telling you this, that like watching these that night kind of made me realize that like the first two guys that kind of showed me as a kid, what a heel actually is, is Roddy Piper. And of course the Iron Sheik. Um, so I remember very vividly 
his original days with the WWF at the time. And just, I mean, he was a huge deal. Like, uh, they were, they even talked a little bit about this on, on the, the documentary that we're talking about, but, uh, the, the origination of the LJN figures and how the Iron Sheik had got one of the biggest royalty checks from them. And I can see that anyway, because I specifically remember the first wrestling figures I ever bought in my entire life was the Hulk Hogan, Andre, or Hulk Hogan, Iron Sheik two pack of the thumb wrestlers. So just the fact that she came with Hogan in that set probably shows you how many people bought that. Yeah, because the kids thing. wanted to have the bad guy, the main bad guy. Yes, as well. As and like obviously, the, the you Hogan's want Hogan, and the good guys. Yeah. And, and another thing too is like putting this together because we talked about this always. It was just one of those. We always talk about the little details and everything comes together. But of course, his infamous curled boots, and he talks about yeah. how he had those specially made and everything. And, and another note I had just just while we're here, hey Ed. Uh, when you were mentioning, you know, him transforming into the Iron Sheik, because I didn't know this, Greg Gagne's mother was the one that, yeah, that came suggested up the name. that name. So that was a pretty interesting factoid. And of course, the the famous story too is that uh, the Iron Sheik was offered a substantial amount of money from Vern Gagne to break Hulk Hogan's leg. Yeah, that, that uh, in their story. title match, which, which he never took the money, obviously, and uh, put, him in, put him in good good favor yeah. with Vince McMahon, and it would help him out throughout his career. So. Uh, but dude, it's it's really weird because the Sheik didn't have the longest, most successful run in the company, but he did have a run with the WWF Championship, and he was all. And they talked about this too, and I'm really glad that they did because this was also very instrumental with me getting into wrestling. Was Hulk Hogan's Rock and Roll Wrestling cartoon, uh, which the Iron Sheik was the main bad guy on. Yeah, just the so, eclipse of that brought me back and had me crack. Yeah, because that, that was before I was even into wrestling, as as we discussed, you know, just throwing it out there as really sucked in in 92. But I, as a kid, would catch that stuff, too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It was Saturday morning cartoons. Yep. So naturally, you're going to have that kind of stuff uh, at the time. So, like, that was a really big, you know, I, I mean, I know even with other people that I know and stuff like that, that cartoon was a major, major gateway into getting kids into professional wrestling. At the time, because that's definitely between that and the LJN toys. That's what originally got me hooked into wrestling, watching it with my grandmother. So, you know, there was a lot of that stuff going on at the time. And that was the first time really in the history of wrestling where they were really marketing things towards kids. Uh, and it's funny enough that I, a guy who plays the character of an Iranian terrorist would be included <laughs> yeah. in that group of people. But it is what it is. Who would soon develop a cocaine habit. Yeah, and dude, I'll be honest with you. That was something in this that I was really surprised about. Uh, not that I mean, I knew about all the stuff, but they got into all of it. They they obviously yeah, talked about when. Yep, him and Duggan. That was something that at the time was a really big deal because wrestling was kind of hitting its stride in the world of pop culture, and it was a big time thing. So it was thing something that news stations would pick up on, and I obviously even remember hearing about it at the time too. And I was a complete mark. You know, at like seven years old, watching wrestling, but like I do remember when that happened. So, uh, and of course, they kind of veer over what Sheik did after leaving the WWF. He would go to the NWA, have a couple stints there, wrestle in the AWA as well too, and he would eventually make his way back to the WWE, uh, which would be in uh, 1991 for SummerSlam, as Colonel which Mustafa. is. As Colonel Mustafa, but it's really weird when you come to think about it because that is a very poignant event in, I guess, the legacy or the lexicon of the WWF. And it's because, first off, they had the Macho Man Miss Elizabeth marriage 
which had a lot of connotations with Jake the Snake Roberts and Sid Justice and The Undertaker and people like that at a pretty big time in their you know periods where Undertaker was starting to flourish as a star. Sid Justice, Sid Vicious was coming into the company for the first time. Uh, and Jake the Snake was kind of on his way out working the heel gimmick, which, you know, at least for me, I think that's the best that Jake ever was, was in 1992. Um, but also with this event, you had, you know, the Sheik was involved as Colonel Mustafa. It was also the last run, really, of Sergeant Slaughter, because that was kind of the, the end of the feud with him and Hogan that obviously started through WrestleMania when he had the WWF Championship. And, of course, it's the famous event, too, where Sid Justice would debut as the referee in that match, and also the Ultimate Warrior would hold up Vince McMahon uh, to wrestle in the main event and was promptly fired afterwards. Uh Preemptively ending his his second, no, that was his first run yeah, in the WWF. Yep. Um, so it was a pretty major event as far as like time and and you know the importance and yeah, things that happened newsworthy. in the company. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So and of course that was the swan song song of Sheik in the WWF. Uh, he would be brought back later, obviously, which they talked in the documentary, but it was you know for the Hall of Fame and for the well, Legends he, Battle Royal. He teamed Royal. up with Backlund to co-manage the Sultan. That was Rikishi. Uh, yeah, which was just they bad. did, but he still wasn't wrestling. Right. So yeah, it was, it, you know that was role. the end of his career, his wrestling career in the WWF was in 1991, uh, and then of course they talk about everything from him getting on the independence, him running into a cocaine and crack problem. Uh, his daughter being murdered. That her was boyfriend. I didn't, yeah, I didn't. Which know I that. didn't know that. I, yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, about she, that her, at his all. daughter Marissa was murdered by a boyfriend after she told him their relationship was over, and he wanted to to kill the boyfriend in court, and the other daughter yeah. restrained him, and uh, eventually his wife left him, and that got him to quit drinking and drugs. So they reconciled. So to what you were saying earlier, he had uh, she didn't put up with him. She was going to leave his ass, but he ended up getting sober. So uh, good for him on that. And it was nice to see, too, his daughter's perspective on everything as far as this goes. And, uh, you know, kind of seeing Sheik as a regular person yeah, is pretty wild, very come to think story. of it, at this point. Uh, but, dude, I enjoyed this one way more than I really thought I would have. I mean, I knew that the Sheik had an interesting story, but I guess I wasn't prepared for them to completely go into it like a lot of WWE programming doesn't. Like, you know, they just kind of skip over stuff. And, of course, they did skip over stuff in this, but they did nail all the major points, and they did talk about a bunch of stuff that I really wasn't expecting them to. So, like, as you said, the Jay, right there with the Dusty one, as far as the, the season goes, uh, is one of the absolute best episodes of Biography, with without question. I agree. And, and my last big bullet point was the Gimmick Battle Royal, because remember when we were watching that and we were just dying yep. at the sheet because he, he just – was wobbling around because he, you know, he couldn't walk with his knees. And Bobby Heenan, and they had it on here. The comments he was making about the yep. sheet coming to the ring. You know, I forget what he says, but he's like, "By the Dude, time the like, Iron Sheet gets it, down here, is it going to be WrestleMania 37?" <laughs> yeah. And uh, he he ended up winning it because he couldn't take a bump over the top. So they just gave it to him to, for the win, which is a great story and funny, but, but yeah, I, I completely am with you. Hey, Ed, I thought this was, was right up there this season. Super interesting story, uh, all kinds of stuff. They got really deep into it. Uh, this was another honest one. You know, that's what helps. We were saying about, about yeah. the dusty one. Uh, again, that's a huge thing as we've been stating throughout this, that they had the whole family, his wife and daughters and everything um, as, as, uh, along with guys like Vern Gagne and the guys we were talking about in the business uh, that could talk really good about the Sheik and his life and career, but really solid episode. I really enjoyed it. 
Same here. So now we move on to WWE Rivals highlighting the feud between Hulk Hogan and Rowdy Roddy Piper. Uh, this is one that I was very interested to see because, you know, we've complained about it several times reviewing these throughout the season that a lot of these were just matches or big matches. They weren't really rivalries. Yeah, but Hogan and Piper is an absolute rivalry that, span, that spanned over 20 years uh, between their feud in the WWF in the early 80s and, of course, into WCW in the 90s. Um, the reason why this is such a big feud, at least for me anyways, is because I already mentioned during the Sheik period here that we were talking for the, about the biography, that him and Piper among the two very first heels that were ever really introduced to me as a viewer and a fan. And Roddy Roddy Piper was the heel. Uh, when I first started watching wrestling, obviously talking about WrestleMania 1 and the War to Settle Score and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Piper was absolutely outstanding. And it was really weird, too, being a kid who didn't like heels, but I liked Piper. Like, there was just something about Piper that was really, really interesting. And, of course, the reason why that's so particular here is because their feud uh, would culminate in the main event of the very first uh, WrestleMania with you know, Roddy Piper and uh, Paul Orndorff facing off against Mr. T and Hulk Hogan, uh, which was absolutely massive. Uh, of course, we get the roundtable again here for the show with uh, Freddie Prince Jr., Booker T, Natalia, Devon Dudley, and JBL. Um, they really didn't have a lot to say in this one, but, you know, uh, they had Hulk Hogan on here, Triple H, Stephanie McMahon, uh, you really, really couldn't. And, and of course, they talk about the MTV stuff with Cindy Lauper and everything. But like, in my opinion, like and I know that Vince bought the company and I believe it was like late 82. Uh, this was the culmination of Vince McMahon's WWF uh, mixing the celebrities and everything. The whole WrestleMania one thing. Uh, it's the it's the, the event, and the, the, the stuff that led to the company becoming the company that we know today. Uh, and it's just really one of the biggest moments, like outside of WrestleMania three, like I consider WrestleMania to be the biggest moment in the entire company's history. For sure. I mean, he had everything riding on it, his house, his mortgage, yeah, everything. Yep. And I think the biggest thing, and we've said this in the, the past, but I would remiss to, to not bring it up and, and definitely going into our love of Piper is the fact that Hulk Hogan was Hulk Hogan, of course, and he's going to get most of the, of the spotlight, but this does not happen without Roddy Piper being the true. that he was. Absolutely. I mean, especially with the whole, like, the unit that they had there. You know what I mean? With Cowboy Bob Orton. Exactly. You, and you Paul You had Orndorf. to have the villains. You had to have the protagonists. And it's like, dude, and it's amazing because Hulk Hogan, like, it's hard to explain to people. I think people know Hulk Hogan is like this pop culture guy, you know, which is understandable at this point. But, like, it's really hard to explain the the initial phenomenon that Hulk Hogan was. Because, like, I'm sure, like, you didn't want to start watching wrestling until 1992, but there's no doubt in my mind you knew who Hulk Hogan was when you were a little kid. Yeah, of course. It was just such a big deal at the time. And, uh, obviously, with the MTV stuff and everything else, it just got into the worlds of pop culture. And, of course, they mentioned, too, how Roddy Piper kind of always, re always refused to lose to Hogan, uh, always wanted to keep strong, uh, which ended up being a big deal for him because the feud would culminate into WCW in the mid 1990s. Uh, and this is when the NWO was in full swing. And, you know, like when that first started, Piper was brought in as like the first major, like big wig guy 
to kind of knock Hogan off his pedestal. First major threat. And it was, of course, this is a time period, too, where we were all major fans. We were in high school at the time. And I'll never forget that initial event where Piper showed up and he beat Hogan. But it wasn't for the belt. And I remember all of us at the time being like, what the fuck you mean it wasn't for the belt? Like, they were very quiet about that leading up to the match. Of course. And that's something that people don't talk about a whole lot today. And Bischoff's still ripping on other companies' booking. And he's doing shit Well, of course. (laughs) I mean, it's just... But, dude, that was a feud, too, that... And I remember this vividly. I don't know, like, you know, we haven't obviously talked about this, but it was something that I was excited for when it started. And then it quickly wore on me because the matches weren't good. Uh, Hogan was in a very lazy time period. Uh, it's hard to explain to people because everybody looks back at the NWO stuff with rose-colored glasses. But like he was not lighting the world on fire, especially as far as we were concerned with the matches. That he was right, having. in-ring, exactly. And then Piper aging and stuff is at the time, too. Had like a hip replacement. A lot of stuff like that. And it's like he wasn't good enough at that point to carry Hogan and vice versa. And you got these matches repeatedly. And it got to the point, too, where you pretty much realized as a fan that Piper wasn't going to win or go over at any point. Like that time had had come and gone. And it also coincides with a very unfortunate thing that basically pretty much ended the career of Macho Man when he did the stunt off the cage when Hogan and Piper were wrestling and it was just botched and he just came right down on his knee from fucking two stories, which he never should have did that at this at his no. age, but macho's macho. And of course they talk about the last hurrah for these two as Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon had their match at WrestleMania nineteen, with Piper making a surprise appearance, interfering in the matchup, kind of, you know, putting everything together. But it was kind of funny too, just as a side note. Uh, I was lucky enough to meet Roddy Piper years ago at a convention. And I had him sign his DVD, which is like Roddy Piper. Like I forget what the hell it was. But on the cover, it had him like standing over Hogan. And he even told me that like Hogan was pissed about the cover because it made it look like, <laughs> of course, you know, Piper, you know, just one of those things. And he was basically just saying how he loved it. Well, JBL even noted that the two old guys will always try to get one over on the other. Of course, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's just that's just how it goes. But, but, dude, this really took me back. This was really a lot of fun. Probably my favorite episode of Rivals uh, this season just because it was extremely nostalgic for me. Like, I can go back and watch this at any time and kind of get enjoyment out of it. So uh, I really liked this one. It was pretty simple and to the point, but it was, it was damn good. Yeah, and, and it kind of culminated with the 2005 Hall of Fame, which was pretty cool, where Pipe and Piper and Hogan got inducted on the same night. Yeah, the, the stars of WrestleMania 1. Yeah, yep. So, I mean, Piper probably deserved to headline his own class, but that still makes sense. So that was good. Um, we're, we're getting to the point now to speaking out loud. Time goes so fast. I We talk about this stuff that we'll only watch once just for what it is, and that's definitely the Hall of Fames for me. And some of yeah. them are like 10 plus years old now, just like this. One. Yeah. Like I have to go back and, and revisit Dude, some it, of these. It's kind of weird because that specific Hall of Fame, I remember, is one that was way before the WWE Network. And they actually came out with a DVD of it. I remember that. Yep. Yeah. And I have it somewhere in my collection. But yeah, it's, cool. it's a really good one. Even that has the Sheik doing his whole shtick and everything. So, like, that was a pretty good year. Paul Orndorff went in. Like, they had a lot of really good 
inductions that year uh, with the Hall of Fame. So, like, that's a really, really memorable one to me, at least, too. So, uh, but yeah, man, pretty solid week of biography and, and rivals, especially with kind of how we've had, like, ups and downs throughout the season. This is definitely one of the stronger weeks overall. And we were doing some research. I think this officially ends the seasons of these. I think next week they're doing a double rival with Stone Cold with uh, I believe Shawn so. Michaels and, and Bret Hart. So that, Bret Hart. that could be interesting, too. We'll definitely uh, cover that if it, it's worth it, which it looks like it is. But, but yeah, the official biography and rival combo is, is over. And eventually they're also getting into those kind of spinoff shows like WWE's most wanted treasures and things like that. Which And uh, Stone Cold has a new show, too. Yeah, I doubt we'll be, be covering that. Maybe just talk about some stuff that might be interesting, like with the treasures, but not, not no full coverage of it here on the show. Yeah, not really a reason to do that. We'll just be kind of half-assing it because there's not a lot. It's not the easiest thing to review, to put it yeah, that way. It's like way. Mick Foley so, talking about Freddie Blassie's cane that they found in Georgia. Yeah, it's like, yeah, that's great. That's what they found. All right, guys, we'll see you. We'll be back right after this. You know, that kind of shit. But, <laughs> yeah. but uh, we are up against another commercial break, and whenever we come back, we're going to be talking Fridays at midnight, Abel Ferrara double feature. First up, 1990s King of New York. So stay tuned for that and much more. We'll be back right after this, right here on the What's Real Podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Herman James with the What's Real Podcast. Finally giving me something to do here. It's been a while since I talked to you guys, but I'm actually helping them out doing an advertisement for advertisers. That's right. If you would like to advertise here on the What's Real Podcast and join the team, just shoot us an email today. We got cheap, easy, and affordable rates, and we can hook you up with some kick-ass advertisements. Just hit us up at Gmail. It's at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. That's whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Join the team with me, my brother Timothy James, the wizard behind the boards, Cam, the J, and Hey Ed. It's the What's Real team for some advertisers. Hit us up, whatsrealpod at gmail.com today. Check out darksidedemonclothing.com. Two guys with troubled past, disturbed minds, fighting inner demons who are succeeding expectations of what people thought they could overcome. Now they want to reveal it to the world and help others conquer theirs. For t-shirts, hats, and more, check out DarksideDemonClothing.com. And we're back, and it is time for some more Fridays at Midnight, a double, double, double feature, double, double feature, double, double, uh, of Abel Ferrara flicks. First up, 1990s King of New York, a former drug lord, returns from prison, determined to wipe out all the competition and distribute the profits of his operations to New York's poor and lower classes in the stylish and ultraviolet modern twist on Robin Hood. Uh, of course, it stars Christopher Walken as Frank White. David Caruso, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, uh, Wesley Snipe shows up in this one. Giancarlo Esposito is in here as well as Steve Buscemi, Teresa Randall, and of course, uh, regular uh, New York actor and Abel Ferrara. Uh, Victor Argo. Diva Victor Argo shows up in this, and he's always good in everything, oh, too. Yeah. Uh, also, I don't know if you noticed this or not, Vanessa Angel shows up in this, the Jay, who's uh, the chick from Kingpin and Weird Science. Yep. Yeah, super hot. Uh, so you have that as well as a bunch of other regulars too. I don't know if you noticed too. James Lawrence shows up in this, who's in Frankenhooker and uh, Street Trash. Uh, so you get a lot of New York actors in this one. But uh, the main thing in this one to me 
is the movie's fairly stylish and gives off two really, really good performances with Christopher Walken and Lawrence Fishburne. Um, It is kind of a modern-day tale of Robin Hood, as they mentioned, uh, where you had the different ethnicities in the city uh, kind of running their own gangs with the the mobsters, and you know, like Asians that had their own thing. And Christopher Walken was basically the head of a black street gang. Um, and this movie is synonymous with a lot of things. Like, I think there's a lot of people that are more familiar with this movie than they think they or know that they are, uh, simply because the Frank White name, uh, you guys might remember, is a moniker of the Notorious B.I.G., and there are a lot of samples and clips of this that show up on albums throughout the years, specifically one uh, Tupac's Death Around the Corner record. Uh, there's a lot of samples of some of the Christopher Walken dialogue in this movie. Uh, but, dude, this is one of the more underrated uh, flicks that Abel Ferrar ever did, in my opinion. Um, it's kind of different subject matter even for him, but it works. Uh, it's also what you know a lot of people would consider the Hood movie. Uh, this is definitely one that falls in that category, like of uh, such movies such as like New Jack City, Departed, Training Day, Carlito's Way, Scarface, Goodfellas, City of God, like shit like that. It definitely falls in that category. And obviously it's Abel Ferrara in 1990, which is a pretty interesting time period even for him, um, where the 80s was a particularly weird period. He was doing a lot of stuff at the tail end of the 70s, early 80s. And then throughout the 80s was kind of like trying to get a foothold on stuff. But by 1990, he was definitely in there because King of New York, uh, you know, falls in that same category as shit as like Goodfellas and stuff from 1990. It was a pretty unique time period in filmmaking. Uh, And this movie's more than a footnote, in my opinion, of that time period. Oh, for sure. And we we always say the one of the biggest characters in this through all those character actors and amazing cast that you mentioned from 1990 is, of course, New York itself, as we say, especially with how much things have evolved and changed here as we talk in 2023. And filming locations included Sing Sing, the Plaza Hotel, Times Square of the time, 42nd Street, the Port Authority bus, Terminal Station, Williamsburg, Queensboro Bridge, Fifth Avenue, Saranac Lake. So just uh, ridiculous locations. And according to Abel Ferrara, then owner Donald Trump gave him permission to film at the Plaza Hotel at no charge on the condition yep. that Walken would pose for a photograph with Ivana Trump, who was a fan of the actor. So, so that's hilarious because we always mention with Abel Ferrara movies, he always gets that one central ridiculous actor that, that wants to work with them you know in this case of course christopher walken although a who's who as we've been through uh with the rest of the cast but nonetheless uh christopher walken uh, pretty much in his prime here in 1990 and just plays the, the the lead you know so amazingly in this and and the story's great too like like you said it has like the the robin hood kind of gimmick but it just goes so much deeper than that and it, it kind of brings up the fact you know, where David Caruso and Wesley Snipes as the dickhead cops because the lieutenant, you know, Victor Argo's character is kind of saying like, you know, we got to play this by the book, guys. We're not going to be the criminals. And they're like, well, fuck that. He keeps getting off. You know, the, like there's that great scene where like, yeah. they like give him a standing ovation. They're like Frank White and they're clapping the, the movie star. And that's where they coined the term like King of New York. And and he's like, you know, this guy's killing like we get paid 30. He's like, what do we get paid? Thirty six thousand a year. And the one guy's like thirty six five. 
36.5 a year to risk our lives every day. And this guy's killing people and he's making millions. He's the king of New York. You know, he goes on that whole rant. But but all that goes into, you know, what is just such an epic film. Well, dude, the thing that I like about Ferrara is he'll he'll present a character like this and he has no problem. He's like one of the best filmmakers I've ever seen with this, where he has no problem presenting the character and their duality where it's like on one token, he's clearly a shitty human being. He sells drugs. He kills people. Uh, but on the other hand, he's also trying to, you know, like pay for a hospital for underprivileged kids. So like there is like it, it in the world of Abel for our films, the characters and people that are in them are extremely complicated, which we're obviously going to get into in the next segment as well. Um, but I think that's this is the first time that I thought he was able to really put that kind of mindset forward in a movie and really achieve that that ideal. Um, because even in his earlier films, he kind of does that, but the characters are pretty defined nonetheless. This one, they're more murky and same thing with bad Lieutenant, which we'll talk about, but it's because it's like, they show like, obviously Christopher Walken's Frank white character is a bad guy, but he's a bad guy. in what they perceive to be a pretty bad world, like corruption, shitty people, everybody's on the take. If you got the money, you, no matter how heinous the bullshit you're doing out here, you can still make it because other people are going to look the other way because you have money and you're affecting things out here on the street. So, and, and it's like the two cops in Caruso and Wesley Snipes seem to be more angry about anything that Frank White's doing than any of the higher ups and people in the movie that they kind of show too because right. they're all on the take. Exactly. Yeah, and, and Abel Ferrara just known as we know, just such strong command of mood and style, and that's pretty much, uh, like you said, what this film exudes. One of the the early highlights he had was, of course, the Lawrence Fishburne scene where he's with the uh, Latino gang uh, making a drug deal, and he's just acting like a goof. You know, he's like talking to the one dude about playing sports and how he used to be an athlete and all this kind of stuff. Yep. and it's it's just kind of a coup to to you know, ransack them and, and well, shoot dude, them all because they're the guys that put Frank White in jail. The Jimmy Jump character that Fishburne plays in this movie is one of the most, like, dangerous characters you've ever seen. Because, oh, like, the dude will so pop. Well too. He, he doesn't give a fuck. He'll pop off at any time. He's not afraid of anybody. He does like, he's literally the equalizer of the movie plot because, like, you really don't know which direction his character is willing to go off in at any moment in time. And, and he even shows other sides of him, like the scene when he's ordering food and he's like ordering chicken and all that stuff. He has and like he's this, being a dick. And he's being a dick. But then he turns to the young kids that the, the worker was yelling at. He's he yells at these kids that are near the arcade game. He's like, quit playing with those games. Get away from those. You don't have any money. And and Jimmy jumps like, you know, why are you talking to them like that? And the guy goes to get the food and he turns around and he gives the, the grandmother that has the kids some some money and he gives the kids some coins. He's like, go play those games. You know, so showing all these different, and he sides. gives the old lady the money too, yep. and that's and when she's his like smiling get, at him. And that's right before they get arrested for a yeah, because then they all come yeah flying in uh, to arrest them and everything, and he fights with them, and uh, that's that's just an awesome scene. And dude, Victor Argo plays Roy Bishop in this one, which is really yeah, cool too, great. because because Victor Argo's been in a bunch of stuff, but this is actually a movie too where like he got a role. Like right. he got to do some act. He wasn't just in a scene or two. Yep, like he got lieutenant. to choose some scenery. Yeah. Like, and he's really, really good in it. And he's perfect for this movie. He's he's a New York actor too that had been in a lot of B movies and cult films and stuff. But it's not like I mean, he also got to start in fucking Taxi Driver. So, 
this he's that's the dude that whenever De Niro shoots the guy in the convenience store and the dude's like, I'll clean it up, just get out of here. That's Victor Argo. So he always manages to <clears throat> at least be in poignant scenes of movies or he plays really memorable characters. And he's like the quintessential like New York actor in my mind, like a guy that, you know, you do, you need to play a police captain. You got him. You need a guy to play just like a typical street New Yorker. You got him. Gangster. You got him like any type of role like that. He can kind of work out. And even in the 70s, when he was much younger, he still kind of looked like an older guy. So right, he's able yeah, to pull off a lot of those dudes. roles. It, yeah, he's absolutely great character actor. And it was kind of cool in this one to, to see him in a role that he could actually sink his teeth into. In which we always love into the end of the second act. And of course, the third act and climax shit just hits the fan. It's, Big time. it's to the point where, you know, they, they can't arrest white and they're getting frustrated and Caruso's character, Gilly. And, and there's the young cop Flanagan that they attend his wedding earlier on and they they're just frustrated. So they set that operation to take down white and they storm a nightclub. And that's just a crazy scene. And, and of course, white and jump, survived the raid, but it turns into this wild shootout. And dude, this was a highlight just because again, me and stunts to call out where Flanagan's hanging on the, the car of white jump and uh, jump drives them into a, a fire, fire hydrant. Yep. And he just gets mortally wounded. And of course, Gilly comes up and he can't resuscitate him. I mean, he got destroyed. Of course he's, he's done. And uh, you know, that sets up Flanagan's funeral where, uh, Gilly is is murdered in the drive by, so yep. you know everybody's just dude just falling. Really, really good movie too, as far as tighten up every loose end yeah, possible. They, like they, they do. Th- like everybody comes to a conclusion in this one, which which I like. And dude, I I really like the Frank White character and the way that Abel Ferrara kind of presents him because it's up to you, the viewer, as to decide like. Is he out here exploiting underprivileged black people to do his bidding for him, or is he legitimately out to try and help these people? It's an answer that the movie never gives you. You kind of have to decide that for yourself. Uh, and I like that. I think it makes the Frank White character a little bit more interesting and, and adds a few more layers than you, you, that you would see typically in just watching a movie like this. But it's an Abel Ferrara kind of crime film. So it's it because of all that kind of stuff it's always been super impressive to me on top of the performances and everything it's a pretty tight script it moves quick at 103 minutes but it moves quick um once they hit the round the ground running with this one they really don't stop and as it goes along like everything kind of unfolds and you know that it's going to be a bad ending for pretty much everybody involved but it doesn't cower away from any of that. It gives you each and every possible demise and ending of every character that you could possibly imagine. So it, it feels like whenever you're seeing that scene at the end with Christopher walking on the, the subway and shit when he's bleeding and stuff, like it, that feels like, like you feel like you've been through the ringer with all these people. And that's there's really no other way for the movie to end up. Exactly. Yeah, it just leads to everything and the demise of, of Frank. And, and another another point to uh, the performance of Lawrence Fishburne, too, is when Gilly is just so frustrated with him after, of course, Snipes' character Flanagan, like we we're kind of saying, is mortally wounded because they kind of shoot each other. And he's still alive, jump, even though he's shot. And he is just laughing hysterically and psychotically. <laughs> and that's, yep. what, yeah, that's what causes Gilly just to shoot him in the head. He's like, kill me. And he just shoots him Dude, in the head. It's just it's and- a great scene. It also ends up being pretty interesting too, just to mention this, because this is you get Wesley Snipes here. 
uh, after Major League, but before New Jack City. Yep. So, like, you're really getting the – and, dude, there – I mean, come to think of it, I was really – this was just something that popped in my head, too, when I was watching this. Like, very few black actors had the leading role like Wesley Snipes did in the early 1990s. Uh, like, through a plethora of different films. Like, there just wasn't a lot of guys doing that kind of oh, stuff. Like even, even Eddie Murphy had gone into, like, the family stuff at that point. So Wesley Snipes was getting a lot of roles. And, like, as far as black actors go in Hollywood, he was, like, right there at the cusp of all of them, frankly. So, uh, and obviously, White Men Can't Jump was in this time period, too. So, like, this was even Wesley Snipes before he blew up. Uh, just an overall really, really interesting movie and really good movie uh, by Abel Ferrara at this point. Uh, still making really, really amazing stuff. Uh, but as we do here on the show, the Jay, do you have a tagline for the King of New York? Uh, King of New York has a great one. Not everyone who runs a city is elected. All right. As we do here on the show, we have a five-star rating scale. Uh, I'm going to give King of New York three and a half stars. Yeah, I got one with a solid four. Hey, Ed, we always talked about King of New York. Uh, this is another one we shout out our buddy Squid that joined oh, yeah. our pop culture love growing up with movies and wrestling and everything. And you guys uh, introduced me to King of New York. Uh, back back in the 90s but yeah just uh one of our classics and oddly enough a movie that christopher walken does not get enough credit for i mean i know he's done some other great work but like this is amongst some of the best stuff uh, he's ever great. done so yeah. uh, i think anytime you bring up uh, christopher walken in some of his best roles you got to bring up king of new york for real so uh but we are up against another commercial break and whenever we come back the abel ferrara fun continues with 1992's Bad Lieutenant. So stay tuned for that and much more. We'll be back right after this, right here on the What's Real Podcast. Hey, Yins, guys. That's right. It's your boy, the J. Once again, as the great Chris Jericho used to say, representing the dub R question mark, the What's Real Podcast. And I am here today for local Pittsburgh area independent production company, Churchill Pictures. And the J can admit, for those consistently listening, week to week we have ads for Churchill Pictures. You may be rolling your eyes, but this time, this week, I have a gift for you where you can watch some of our feature films for free for the first time. For those that don't know, Churchill Pictures is based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, established from the bond of two childhood friends. Churchill Pictures envisions creating visual content that is completely original, thought-provoking, and most importantly, entertaining. Check all the information out at churchillpictures.com today. And as I said at the top of the ad, your chance to see their two feature films for free. Just subscribe to YouTube's Churchill Pictures channel. Go to YouTube, subscribe to the Churchill Pictures channel, and you'll be able to watch the full feature film, the 2012 Silver Ace Award winner from the Las Vegas Film Festival, Deference. Deference, the full movie, is for free on our YouTube channel. Then our second feature film, The Unsung, is now available for free on Tubi. Tubi is a free streaming site, just has a little bit of ads, but you can get used to them. Check us out on Tubi. All you have to do is register for Tubi, or if you're already registered, go on ahead and sign in on Tubi and just search The Unsung. The Unsung is now streaming for free on Tubi. Check us out today at churchillpictures.com or YouTube Deference to be the unsung. Churchill Pictures, we create worlds. And we're back, and it's time for part two of Fridays at Midnight. 
Now we're going back to 1992 with Abel Ferrara's Bad Lieutenant. While investigating a young nun's rape, a corrupt New York City police detective with a serious drug and gambling addition tries to change his ways and find forgiveness. Of course, we're talking about LT, the lead character in this, played by Harvey Keitel. Uh, We also have a pretty interesting uh, cast in this. Victor Argo shows up again. Uh, You know, just uh, Zoe Tamarellis, who's the co-writer of this, or Zoe Lund is her other name from Miss 45. Uh, shows up in this as well. Bo Deedle plays Detective Bo. A lot of New York actors show up in this one. A lot of people that uh, you've noticed uh, in King of New York show up in this one as well. Um, but this is completely 100% a vehicle for Harvey Keitel. Um, it's a very, very disturbing movie to say the least because you literally see this guy as a lieutenant, police lieutenant, um, spiraling completely out of control uh, between high-stakes gambling, uh, drug abuse, just being a general piece of shit to people. Um, But the thing is about this movie is it's an interesting flick, but Harvey Keitel in this, this is literally one of his best performances of all time. Uh, And it's it's really a tour-de-force performance where like every scene he's doing shit that just eats up fucking scenery. Uh, It's another movie, by the way, where New York City plays the entire backdrop, which becomes a character in the movie, as does uh, the New York Mets and the Los Angeles Dodgers playing baseball. Uh, it's, you know, it, it's Mike Mad Dog McGurk is in this, too. Uh, I think his last name is McGurk. I might be wrong on that. But he's a New York City uh, uh, radio guy, sports radio guy, who's also on uh, First Take now with Stephen A. Smith. Um, so, you know... It's a pretty interesting New York movie overall, uh, but it's all centered around the character of LT, uh, played by Harvey Keitel, and it's it's really something because of that alone. Yeah, it's Keitel like at his height, like you said. I mean, you can't yeah. you can't say anything else. I mean, such an amazing actor, so many different amazing roles, but this is just. A, a character study, as you mentioned, just a vehicle straight for him. Then you add in, as we talked about, uh, our love for Abel Ferreira as a, a director, and it's the perfect formula to to do a character study about the the bad lieutenant that has every freaking imaginable vice and is just unhinged. And you know, you just see him unraveling with the backdrop of of the rape of this young nun. Uh, by two young hoodlums and everything. And and like you, you mentioned, kind of the backbone, which reminds me of a more modern film with uncut gems, that kind of vibe, you know, with the, the sports gambling involved and specifically this National League Championship Series where in real life for the first time ever, the New York Mets come back from a, a three-game deficit in, in the series to, to win it. And he keeps putting on uh, the Dodgers and, and Daryl Strawberry, which is yep. great that he's a big character at one at one point he's and like doesn't oh. even appear. Yeah, his his wife's on the uh or he's on the couch and his wife comes down for for breakfast with like the kids and, and she's like strawberry, get up. You want some coffee? He like calls him strawberry because you know he's always just glued to the TV gambling on these games and everything. But but yeah it's it's just one of those things where you can you know you see it on the the poster a, a tour de force from Kaitel, you know, and that's what it is. It's just him just doing what he does best and, and just being this just unhinged, crazy Lieutenant character. I mean, right off the bat, he's dropping his two sons off at, at Catholic school. 
and, and like already he like his interactions with Just them bitching. like he's like come on you fucks he's like why were you late and they're like aunt whatever was using the bathroom the whole time and he's like are you men or mice he's like you tell me next time i'll throw her out the fucking bathroom you know yep. and then as soon as they they go to to school and say bye dad and shut the door he starts blowing lines that is the little thing that he has and drives to a double homicide dude so i found occasionally as you know on these segments i go to letterboxd and i found a review from a guy named todd Gaines. this is amazing this, this is literally the summary of the whole movie. Mr. White, as a cop living on the motherfucking edge, blow, bow fucking deedle, a smart bet, baseball, a street pharmacist, crack is whack, naked dancing, flaccid Harvey, a convenience store t- shakedown, a despicable, horrific, sad face act of violence, Daryl fucking Strawberry, stealing from the dead, chicks in penguin suits, a nude nun, Jersey Bad Girls, A Serious Question, Extreme Chicken Choking, Fuck You Cassette Player, Holy Communion, Yummy Wafers, Sad Confessions, Not Giving a Flying Fuck Who You Snort Coke in Front Of, Nightclub Action, Playing Dumb, Uncontrollable Laughter, An Empty Threat, China Fucking White, Real Fucking Justice, Holy Fucking Hallucinations, Some Real Good Shit, The Way Harvey Says Cocksucker, The Bus, Checking Out for Good, Harvey fucking Keitel blows it out of the fucking park. He is simply unforgettable as the fucked in the motherfucking head lieutenant. Abel Farrar's one ballsy director. You don't normally see some of the shit that you see in this film. Haunting, daring, controversial. One of those must-watch-at-least-once films in your lifetime. Good call. What was his name? I mean, that's Todd Gaines. All right, Todd. Good job. Shout out to Todd, because that's a pretty fucking good review of this movie. Like, it's... It's dude, it's one of those movies where it's more difficult to talk about because it's like you just need to see what this fucking it's is. It's an experience. We say that with, with films on this level, you know, and, and it has, of course, become one of Ferrara's best known and most critically appreciated works. And is, of course, considered a cult film because uh, something like this, that's that's the sad thing. And it is what it is. Something like this can't have mass media appeal be, because no, the, the, the content. You know, I think we even talked about the the scene of the, the nun being raped. Um, I, I guess there's an NC-17 version and an R-rated version. Yep, and I, there is. We, we did watch this on, on Tubi, as we always shout out our unofficial sponsor, Tubi. And I believe that was the NC-17 version. No, it's oh, it's, it's the, R- the R-rated okay. version. Yep. That, that makes sense. Because, uh, yeah, th- there was a couple things I even said to you. I noticed it was edited when he pulls over the, the teenage girls from New Jersey. And then the NC-17 yep. version. He ends up telling one of the girls to bend over and pull up her skirt and the other to simulate oral sex while he masturbates. And they cut that out completely. It just cuts. And I was like, that's weird. I remember that being a creepier scene. <laughs> so yep. my uh, my thoughts were right as I you know I saw that probably the last time I watched this, which was some time ago, was the NC-17 version. Uh, but but nonetheless, yeah, it is. It's a tour de force of a film. There's just so many, you know, just uh, ridiculous scenes again he's he's doing coke drinking smoking crack he ends up towards uh you know one of probably like the last act the third act he ends up having that one woman he hangs out with uh shooting him up with hair all yep i mean that's he, uh, zoe lund he he does it all <laughs> in this film dude just to throw a couple quotes to show you how fucking ruthless this movie is zoe lund's character says the quote vampires are lucky they can feed on others. We got to feed away at ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and Harvey Keitel, once being threatened by a bookie over the amount of money that he owes, he goes, no one can kill me. I'm blessed. I'm a fucking Catholic. And then 
Of course, the scene where Kaitel is in the middle of a breakdown and he calls Jesus himself a rat fuck. So the movie's pretty wild, like overall. Oh, those, like, this those is not a movie not for so, anybody. Yeah, he's in the church just screaming and crying. Losing his shit. Losing his shit, and, seeing Jesus. And he's such a flawed character, too, because they do this. And, of course, you know, spoilers, everybody. That's uh, a movie from 1992. Um, but, you know, he essentially finds the guys that are the, rapists. Uh, the, ra- the non-rapists. And, you know, you think he's going to kill them. But he just puts them on a train and tells them to get the fuck out of town. After smoking crack with them. Yes. <laughs> as, so, the, like, as the Mets win the pennant and fuck his gambling situation. It, it's literally a character who, like, no matter how hard he tries, he literally can't do the right thing because he's such a piece of shit human being. It's a really interesting character. And, like, Harvey, like, you're not, there's very few performances that you're ever going to see in movie history where somebody completely throws them. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if Harvey Keitel was smoking crack when he made this fucking thing. Because it's literally like that type of a performance that's completely off the page. And oddly enough, it would be like shortly around the time where he did the role as uh, the wolf in Pulp Fiction. Yep. And he just keeps chasing the dragon with the gambling and the 30,000. And I think his tab ends up being because he keeps doubling or nothing. It's like 120,000. But he does get that that. 30,000 share from the drug dealer, but that's like kind of a twist at the end. Like you said, he just still can't do the right thing. Smokes crack with these, the, the rapists in Spanish Harlem. And instead of taking them to the station, he goes to the port authority bus terminal, puts them on the bus with the cigar box containing the 30,000. So he gives it to them and just tells them never come back to New York and then leaves the terminal, which culminates to, of course, the end where presumably the bookie catches up to him. Yep. And it's, you know, there's really no other way to end the movie than to have him deal with his own personal comeuppance and karma. Um, But, dude, this is Bad Lieutenant is absolutely amazing. It's a fantastic movie. It's it's a difficult watch, but just for the performance of Harvey Keitel alone, it's one of the best performances you'll ever see. Uh, Abel Ferrara, of course, is like the perfect type of director to deal with this subject matter and this type of role. Um, but without a doubt, like Bad Lieutenant is just absolutely fantastic. And as I mentioned in Todd Gaines' review, it's one of those movies that you owe it to yourself to at least see once. Yeah, and, and again, in our canon, it's like one of those things we mentioned here on Friday is at midnight and the What's Real podcast and bringing up our choices. And, and I say it all the time. Life goes so fast. And this is a movie I revisited decently, but I haven't seen this one in quite some time. And, and that's that's why I bring this up, because it's so great to kind of give it some years and then just go back to watch it because it, it just gives you that experience all over again and, and i was really glad i picked it because it, it just holds up like i really enjoyed watching it again as fucked up as it is mainly just to to study Kaitel's performance is just it's unreal it's unbelievable you're talking one of one of the best american actors and probably arguably uh, his best role yeah I, I wouldn't argue with that one bit. And as we do here on the show, the Jay hit us with a podcast or hit us with a podcast. I'm hitting you with the podcast. Hey, yeah. Jesus. As we speak. Hit us, hit us with a tagline for fucking bad lieutenant. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Another good one. Bad lieutenant, gambler, thief, junkie, killer, cop. And as we do again, five-star rating scale, the Jay, what do you got for bad lieutenant? Another solid four. These two Abel Ferrara movies for the Jay, two fours. Yeah, I agree here. I give this one four stars as well. So hope you guys enjoyed the breakdown there of Bad Lieutenant and another week of Fridays at Midnight in the can. But we are up against our very last commercial break. And whenever we come back, we're going to wrap up the show. 
We're going to talk some goofs. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this right here on the What's Real Podcast. Step right up. Friday's at midnight here. We got all the finest women in the world. We got all the kind of craziest stuff you've ever seen. Hey, buddy, what about you? Why don't you come on into Friday's at midnight and see what the world beholds? Hey, what kind of wares do you have? What kind of place is this? This looks pretty unique. Tracy, you want to check this out? You like hot women? You like crazy people? What about murder? We got that too. Cartoon characters, stupidity, just about everything you guys want to see. Come on in. Just a small fee, if you will. Sorry, Tracy. I love all these things. I'm leaving you. You stay here. Here it is, sir. All right. Head on in. All right. Friday's at midnight, everybody. What's Real Podcast? Join us next week for one of the craziest movie segments in podcasting. Friday's at midnight. Hey, everybody. This is Herman James for the What's Real Podcast. And I'm here to just let you know to welcome you to Goofs Are Geeks. And we're back, and it's that time once again. So the J, what do we got this week on the goof front? Uh, once again, hey, Ed, it is actually a beautiful day here as we speak, down from the Whitsville Studios, the lagoon and waterfall, dolphins frolicking, pussy willows in the breeze. It looks like the Lion King. It's unbelievable here, hey, Ed. It puts me in a good mood. Getting some some of that D. Wait, I shouldn't have said vitamin, 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 vitamin D. D. Yeah, I got to yeah. be careful when I say that. Jesus. Not, not that there's any wrong anything wrong with getting some D. But yeah, the Jays reference in vitamin D specifically here. But what a beautiful setting here at the Lagoon and Waterfall of Goose. Welcome to episode 159 as we get ready to hit the 160s. Hey, at craziness. But welcome to GRG. First up, uh, I got you sent some of these videos. Uh, the first one had me dying. It is a panda that surprises onlooker, onlookers with an unexpected performance. And it's fucking he might have been working. He was. He was looking for on liquors, actually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at this first, motherfucker's getting it. At first, they thought it was climbing a tree. And then, <laughs> next thing you know, it starts twerking like he's working Only, at cheerleaders here in Pittsburgh. Hey, man, I went to the zoo this weekend. I didn't see any kind of shit like that. So. <laughs> yeah, I guess it was trying to scratch its ass. But yeah, it looks, <laughs> it looks like it's working the pole. Oh, my God. <laughs> Next up, this is a recurring theme here on the show, and it just keeps evolving. And uh, we're, me and Hey Ed are very scared, but it's yeah, of we're course die. the infamous Boston Dynamics and their latest Atlas robot showing off its skills. And yeah, they got these motherfucker doing fucking uh, Ninja Warrior doing, challenge. Yeah, parkour, <laughs> lucha libre moves. It's like throwing packages, jumping over boxes, doing flips, pushing boxes over. This shit's crazy, and as we say, we have not learned anything from James Cameron and the Terminator franchise with Skynet. But yeah, it ends its thing with a, a Lucha Libre like spinning 360 flip on Dude, its feet. You know what my favorite? I don't know if you notice this or not, but when it's like setting shit up, you notice how it like prances. Yeah, it's like doing the <laughs> Deion Sanders touchdown dance. Yeah, it's like it's sort of like running on its tippy toes and shit. Th this one had me crying. A little girl with a slice of ham on her face receives over 1 million prayers on Facebook because it looks like of she's course. deformed. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Did you see the picture? You, you got to love this world. And I'm it says you. thoughts and prayers. Oh, maybe some mustard, too. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys got to look this up if you hadn't seen it. it, it there's like um, eye slots cut in the the ham in like a mouth cut in the ham. So she's wearing this ham as a mask. And I guess people <sighs> thought she was deformed or burnt or some shit. People are fucking morons. And this was on CNN. 
for crying out loud. Of course, it shows of you course the state of our current media here in our country, but that's a, a tirade for another day, as we say. Hey, yo. Uh, this Jesus. this one I'm I'm sending you here live on the uh, show. This one's a a Twitter one, and this I could not skip on putting it on here. As they say, they really trying to reinvent the wheel. This motherfucker is square. I, dude, I seen this today, and I'm like, I don't understand why anybody would give a fuck or want this at all. <laughs> the first like, comment purpose? is, this inventor must be Canadian. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> uh, those those for the visual of our viral video that we like to uh, explain in detail. Uh, it's a new bike invention that instead of uh, circle circular wheels, it's square wheels. So yeah, because we we've all been like, I want a bike, but one that's less mobile. Yeah, like I mean, it makes no sense. Perfect. And I, I think it's just like to to say like, oh, we're making a joke on the reinvention of the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> like the one dude says, I'm not a scientist, but I understand basic basic physics. Won't work well over bumps. It's like no shit. Like yes, yeah, let, let's send this dude at, at a uh, like going full throttle at a bump, and he's just gonna get flipped over the handlebars. I mean, I wish that that's what the video was, frankly, because I'd feel much like that was a better use of my time than watching some idiot ride around on square tires, like it's like a tank. Yeah, like we see him in real life. Like, dude, there seems to be no sign of intelligent life anywhere. Mm mm. Mm mm. I mean, that's just not even here on the show. I mean, I'm drunk at this point, so yeah, thank the you. fuck do I know? I'm right behind you. <laughs> Tequila is coming up in the Jay's life because my shoulder's killing me as well, as you know. Hey, yeah, I've got a bit of a you might as well just here. drink yourself into oblivion. That's We're going out with a, a literal bang, hey, Ed. I just sent you this one. So this is just another one of those crazy life stories we like bringing up on GRG. A man kidnaps girlfriend at gunpoint in shocking marriage proposal in a TikTok video. She fights. That sounds like something. <laughs> yeah, something on TikTok, right? Yeah, yep. She fights, screams, and weeps while being kidnapped, blindfolded, and dragged to her waiting husband-to-be in the shocking TikTok video. Of course, this is an Australian man's idea, as he pretended to kidnap his girlfriend in Lebanon for an elaborate surprise proposal. And, cool. And the vi- video was uh, shared on TikTok by his sister, Talia, earlier this month, which she captioned, how my brother decided to propose in Lebanon. But yeah, yeah that he, sounds that's great idea. Dude. He had strangers. He had strangers drag uh, the woman, his fiance soon. Well, we got to see if she said yes <laughs> at the end of this. Hand. I'm definitely no, not going to call did. her fiance yet, uh, but possible bride to be Vanessa. They dragged the woman out of the car at gunpoint. And she's fighting back, screaming, no, please. It is only after the urging of her family that she allows herself to be taken captive and placed in another Look, vehicle. No, no, it's cool. Just relax. <laughs> yeah, just go with this mask yeah, at gunpoint. I'm the not fuck? going with them, she pleaded. I told them I'll give them whatever <laughs> they want. And what ensues is disturbing, to say the least. She's ultimately being dragged against her will while blindfolded, clearly fearing for her life, to a spot on the beach They rip the blindfold from her face. She sees her boyfriend standing there with flowers and a black jewelry box. You're joking, is all Vanessa can manage to say after the ordeal as he goes on to propose. And she accepts a dream come true. Adam always joked that he wanted to propose in a way to scare her and my family. And everybody made it possible when she was visiting them in Lebanon. I just like the fact that this dude had to approach relatives and friends with this idea and not yeah. one of them's like, this is a horrible <laughs> yeah. idea. The overall planning took three months. Hey, y'all. 
Jesus Christ. But uh, yeah, course. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a, a second proposal to my to my wife and steal this idea and I'm gonna I'm gonna go even more elaborate. Shit. I'm using this for my next breakup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know my wife Katie, she'd fight out of it and end up killing somebody. Yeah, it's like it was all a joke. Like like, I wish you would have known that before I, I stabbed five people yeah, in the throat. Like you killed Justin, Guillermo, and Ray. <laughs> like, God damn it. But between all the crazy shit, pandas twerking, robot parkour. <laughs> oh, you know what? Let's 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 do this. I got one more actually, because this had me cracking up too. I forgot about this one. Hey Ed. Uh, I don't even need to send it to you. We'll just run through it. A sloth distracts viewers during a live stream of a rocket launch to Jupiter. I did see this. Yeah, actually. So that's that's where we're at in America and our attention span, where Friday's launch of a rocket to Jupiter was historic, but a sloth stole the show. So the animal yeah. distracted viewers uh, waiting for liftoff, sitting in the tall grass with the rocket in the background. The European Space Agency spacecraft took uh, off from French Guiana, South Africa. But the sloth was an immediate hit as it was just like looking around like an idiot sloth and the rockets going off to Jupiter in the background. People are like, oh, look at the sloth. It looks like Madagascar. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking idiots. Fucking people. That's why this segment is GRG. And between sloths ruining space shuttle launches to Jupiter, pandas twerking, robot parkour, ham-faced girl getting a million uh, fucking prayers, reinvention of the wheel with square wheels, and TikTok shock, hey Ed, with the crazy ass proposal, I say to you, goofs are goofs. So we're about done this week, but if you guys are listening on iTunes, feel free to give us a five-star review. Helps the algorithm and gets more eyes and ears on the program. And of course, you can listen on all your favorite podcasting platforms, such as Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and each and every week on churchillpictures.com. If you have something you'd like to add to the show, you can do so by email at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Again, that is whatsrealpod at gmail.com. But before we get out of here, I hear the J revving it up. So the J, take it away. Revving it up like I'm wearing ham on my face, riding a fucking bicycle with square wheels, distracting a space shuttle launch to Jupiter. Hey, you know. But my usual shout outs, love the show to the one and only producer amongst producers, our man Cam, the wizard behind the boards and the blood flowing flesh. Thanks for what you do, Cam. That consistent, constant, weekly 16K sound. We love you for it. To my brother, hey, you Another great ride on the journey. Hey, Ed, I hope everybody's enjoying this. If you're hearing my voice right now, much love to you. I'm going to get some tequila to self-medicate for this goddamn torn shoulder injury. Stay safe. Stay healthy. You'll hear the J next week. So that is about it for us this week here on episode 159 of the What's Real podcast. Uh, Shout out to our producer, Cam, for all the hard work he puts into the show. Because as we know here on the program, nobody beats the whiz. And you, the J, clang, clang. clang. Still undefeated, still the podcast tag team champions of the universe uh, from this point forward. We're never going to lose. It is what it is. So we will see you here next week uh, for episode 160 and beyond. So stay safe, stay healthy. I'm fairly drunk, and we will see you here next week on the What's Real Podcast. What's real? What's real?